The Four Horsemen. What you have here is the Four Horsemen, united, live and exciting color. Um, not those Four Horsemen. These Four Horsemen discuss theology from different viewpoints, different perspectives, as we show people how to have discussions without turning into a keyboard warrior. Are you stupid? Now, here's Dennis Thurman, Adam Black, Benjamin Kerfman, and Derek McCarson, the Four Horsemen. We welcome you to another edition of the Four Horsemen. And uh, in the room with me, Dennis Thurman, your host, is Benjamin Kerfman, who is uh, manning all of the controls, making us sound as good as possible. Uh, Adam Black, who is across from me, which is a good place for him to be. <laughs> and uh, to my side, my young protege, uh, Derek McCarson. I'm not sure what protege means, but hopefully it's, a, car? Yeah, it's, a, it's a medical uh, term, I think, for a throat condition. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for tuning in to listen. We're going to talk a little bit today about uh, celebrity pastors and not so much about the the personalities names that you might recognize but but the whole business of being a pastor on a pedestal and um you know the truth is that there's nothing new under the sun we might think that mega ministries and that kind of uh, promotion of pulpit personalities is something that is novel to our high tech social media internet-driven days, but it's not the case. In fact, I've been preaching through 1 Corinthians, and uh, so listen to some of this, of what Paul was having to deal with. In the first chapter, he says, now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanas. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. So we hear Paul denying that he wants to be a celebrity. And he returns to this whole thing about how we need to look at ourselves as ministers of the gospel, uh, as fellow workers in the household of faith. And in chapter 3, when he says this, For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. And so just like Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. The same temptations, the same kind of trials that churches face today, uh, all the issues that we think are somehow confined to this modern age or just a repackaging of the same age-old issues that the church has had to deal with since its inception. So one of the things that we see is when you have these big-name preachers uh, whose names are 
you know, recognizable readily when you speak them, uh, that many of them have fallen. Uh, not all, and thank God. So this is not meant to be some kind of, of blanket uh, criticism. There are many of those men that are extremely faithful to the word, to morality and theology. But uh, recently, I can think of James McDonald, who made the headlines, not in a good way, and uh, Bill Hybels, who for a period of time has been questioned, but now there has been a, a definitive statement made by the elders of that church that uh, the charges against him of a, of a sexual nature uh, were credible. And so we're not going to continue to beat up on those guys, but I want us to talk about, and I'm just going to throw this out here and, and we'll start with Adam, let him talk about it for a moment. But uh, but this whole matter of being in that very public, very high profile position, you know, how does that contribute to these dangers and, and these men falling like they, they did? Well, I think that most of these guys, anybody of notoriety, um, pastors usually are incredible communicators. They are where they are because of, well, they're gifting and, you know, in God's, God's grace. I mean, you can even look at, um, some of these guys not naming names. Um, but they're not even, they're not good biblical preachers. Um, rhymes with Joel Olstein. Um, <laughs> but you see he's a celebrity. Why? Because he's a good communicator. Um, and so I think the problem though lies in our, our sin nature and our pride. Um, uh, when you, uh, I know at our church, you know, when people come up after the service, man, that was the best, you know, sermon I've ever heard, or, you know, I don't get that often. Uh, actually, I've never had that. Uh, but, no, I mean, you, you get the words of encouragement, but there's a part of me that, that I, I pat myself on the back. I, I killed it. And, and you've really got to press against that because it's not about me. Um, and I think with a lot of these guys, the problem is pride. Um, and a lot of these situations that you see is you see bullying uh, because they're the man, they're the guy, they're the one who got everybody to this point, and I did this and I did that, and you're nobody. And 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 a lot of these situations, it is bullying. I mean, even with some of the, probably the sexual stuff, it's probably in the same same realm. I'm sure. I mean, mm -hmm. Look who I am. You know, you're not going to do anything. And so I think that even though God can put you on an incredible platform, that platform brings a lot of. Um, a lot of dangers and a lot of problems that uh, us normal guys won't have to, to see. Mark Driscoll actually wrote, who is one that fell. Um, he actually wrote a blog a long time ago, a while back. So you think you want to be a mega church pastor. And he talked about all the issues of people coming to his house and, and, and people yelling at him in restaurants and that everywhere he went, you know, um, that he, he faced a lot of scrutiny, but, but I think the problem lies is in our pride. Um, because uh, again, just a little bit of encouragement is a good thing, but it can get to you, especially when you've got thousands upon thousands of people who let's be, are coming to see you. I mean, that's what it is. They're mm -hmm. coming to see you. And, um, I think that's the danger is, is in our pride. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I'd just add to that. Um, these guys begin to believe their own press clippings after a while, and they get to a point in their life where they're sitting on the top of the heap, so to speak, and they kind of feel untouchable. Again, that goes along with pride, but 
also in a lot of these situations, I think you'll probably notice the common pattern there is that they're in a situation where there's not a lot of accountability. Um, they're the ones making the decisions and there's maybe not people looking over their shoulder like they need to be, or there's not uh, some transparency there. And so, um, they feel like that they can get away with it. It's interesting that we uh, mentioned this because, uh, the other day I was studying, uh, David's life and, you know, David's big fall, uh, into sexual sin with Bathsheba. Uh, he was in a situation there too, where there was no accountability. Yeah, there was nobody around him really to, to, to hold him to the standard that he needed to be. And, uh, I think that's, that's common in, in every guy, every, every minister, every pastor is, uh, we're, we're, we're fallen. We're given to pride. We're given to the, to our weaknesses in flesh. And, you know, you get up so high and, uh, the higher you go, the harder you fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you never can really get to a place, I think, where you can settle in and feel comfortable that you cannot fall. I mean, Scripture's quite clear about that. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. But but here's something else, that there are a whole lot of other climbers that are tethered to that lead climber who's gone so high that when he falls, he drags down a lot of others with him. Think about uh, other elders in the church other leaders that are there, as well as just the, the common uh, Joe and Sally out there in the pew. But uh, in a network of churches uh, where people have bought into maybe a particular way of doing uh, worship or outreach or whatever the model might be that, uh, that's been there, I think what James McDonald is, what, Vertical Church, I think. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so so think about how that impacts the kingdom in a, in a wider way. And so, um, Ben, what I'd like for you to kind of comment about, we've talked about the side from the, the pulpit personality, but of course, Paul in that text was rejecting that, but still he was dealing with a church that was wanting to put preachers on a pedestal. So let's, I want you to talk for a moment about the, the members of the church and the people out there in the audience that are listening uh, whether it be over the internet or sitting in the pew or whatever the case may be, uh, what responsibility do they have and why are they given to puff up the preacher like that? Well, I think um, one of the patterns that you'll see in a lot of these uh, church scenarios is that the the members have no ability to provide accountability or uh, questions. E- even in, partic- in Baptist churches, like for instance, um, if I recall correctly, um, James McDonald's church recently became a Southern Baptist church. They did. Although some of the discussion is, is are they really even congregational in nature, which is historically a, a tenet of being Baptist and Southern Baptist is that um, the members have influence in the, in the direction of the church. So I would say that that's definitely a, um, a consistent, flaw that I see in a lot of uh, celebrity pastor situations is generally they're so far removed from the person in the pew and there's so little accountability that that's why they fall in large part. Um, I don't think all these guys that messed up are really malicious or, or generally, you know, terrible people. And I don't think that they're all lost, you know, but I think any of us in the right situation with a lack of accountability and a lot of opportunity for sin could fall prey 
whether you're in a church with five people or five million people. Um, but as far as from the person in the pew, I think if you have the ability to hold your pastors accountable, you should do that in, in a loving way. Now, you always have those members, especially in, in churches the size of our churches, um, in local areas that, that feel like it's their job to hold the pastor accountable being by being a jerk at every single meeting and opposing <laughs> everything the pastor does. And, you know, it's my job to keep the pastor under control. Well, guess what? Your church of 50 people, your pastor is probably not getting wildly out of control <laughs> by trying to start a new program or, you know, change the way something looks or whatever. You know, he's not going to run the church in, in the ground because, you know, we're, we're doing color bulletins now or something. You know, I mean, it's just, Anyways. Well, there there are the born again, and then the born againers. You know? Yeah, yeah, the born against. Yeah, um, but uh, but I think from the member perspective, though, if there is an opportunity for accountability, then obviously they should exercise that. They should be, and as a Baptist pastor, I'm in favor of congregational involvement in the direction of the church. Um, I want my members to have. Uh, influence because I don't think just because I'm a pastor that all of a sudden I'm always going to make the right decisions or that I'm always considering everything that I need to uh, when I'm making leadership decisions for the church. I think uh, not just plurality, but parity uh, in leadership is something that's largely lacking. So like, like even in churches that have a plurality of elders, those elders are not equal. And that creates an issue um, because basically you have a, an elder and then his board is essentially how it functions. And so a lot of these guys, these celebrity guys, they're the guy at that, at that church. And so um, even among the elders, it's hard for them to really hold somebody accountable when that person has the right to fire them or uh, doesn't have any true accountability from them. Whereas in, in, in a true plurality and a true parity of elders, um, nobody gets two votes. Everybody gets one vote. Everybody's on the same playing field. Uh, nobody is above accusation or accountability or anything like that. I know in one of the churches there was in one of the churches of the pastor that fell, there was levels of elders. Right. <laughs> Which I think in most of those church like models. the top was only three guys. And then right. there was underneath, there were a bunch. And most of the way that you see that is um, in most of these cases where somebody falls, that's generally the way the church government's laid out. Now, the problem is, is people will criticize, you know, oh, see, elders don't fix everything. But that's not a true plurality and parity of elders. That's Presbyterianism. Yeah which is you have teaching elders and ruling elders. And so they would say these other guys are ruling elders. And, and I think there are some scriptures where maybe an, an argument can be made, you know, in our church, everybody doesn't preach every Sunday. You know what I mean? We have some guys that preach more than others. I don't preach very often. Um, I do other forms of teaching in the church, but uh, when we sit down to make decisions about the church, it's not one guy saying, Hey, this is what I think we should do. And everybody falls in line. It's it's more of a discussion, and the members also have input into that. So I would say that is a trend that I see, um, and that's not to say that there's not pastors in other churches that have moral failings. We all know that that's sure. Maybe even in a little small church, exactly. They it's don't not have a, to be in a mega church. Exactly. It's not necessarily about church size. It's not necessarily about you know worship style or anything like that. But I do think that if your church is structured 
the less accountability your pastor has, the more susceptible he is to fall into sin. And he can be a, a godly man that is really striving. Um, I mean, James McDonald is the, he is the elephant in the room, right? Everybody knows it's all over the media. The fact is, that there's many people that have been discipled under his teaching ministry for a long time. And some of the ex- accusations that have come against him are, are really um, uh, sad and also angering um, to think that he could be treating people the way that he has been uh, behind closed doors. But that's not to say that the Lord hasn't used his ministry. But but it is to say that, like you were saying, Dennis, that uh, you know Proverbs teaches us, you know, that's only going to go on for so long. Your sin's going to find you out. Yeah. Another thing I'd like for you to explore a little bit, Adam, if you're willing, is that. You know, these guys probably have natural gifts and a personality that is geared toward that kind of uh, driven, focused uh, way of leading people that is necessary in one sense to build that kind of extensive ministry. I mean, everybody doesn't have those kinds of abilities and gifts to do that. Right. And and so is there a danger that rather than relying upon the, the gifts of the Spirit and God's grace operating through you, that you begin to do spiritual things in a carnal way, relying upon those gifts, and, and then uh, kind of talk about how that could create an issue? Well, I think that I, I have to believe, again, going back to that pride thing, is, is as you begin to grow, you're like, man, this is really working. You know, and I think... He, if you can thank God for, you know, but you, you would have this danger of, um, again, relying more on programs, relying on more of, you know, this is, this is the strategy and not really pointing to that God was the one who were at, was adding to the number, um, that you can start relying more on, you know, try to teach your program elsewhere and this uh, one size fits all type stuff and 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 i you know i fell to that early on in, in ministry i'm like well it worked there you know look at that guy that's what they were doing and and, and what they were doing was biblical there was nothing right. necessarily wrong with it but because i was looking at more of the program than i was at looking at the god who was adding to the number um i think that's the the true number and even as a leader and even as a pastor um that's one thing that early on, you know, I've only been lead pastor for a year, but early on it was like, I was thinking, well, what program can we put in? What, what can we do? And and I got wise counsel from a good friend of mine who said, Adam, get out of the way and let God do his job. And, and I, I've, I've felt like I've been doing that and we've been having some good success, but I think that you can get very, um, again, relying on your own abilities because it did, it had worked mm-hmm. from a, a numerical sure. standpoint. Um, well, I, th- I think you said something that I think is really important in this conversation too. And that is uh, because of um, advances in transportation and the internet, we've lost the locality of the church. And so it's all about, you know, how can I get my teaching to reach more people? Well, I, people can drive farther I can build, build bigger buildings. I can use the internet. 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, those were not uh, opportunities. And so if you were a really great preacher, you were a really great preacher for whoever lived in your community. Right. And like maybe if you were, uh, you know, you even think about, you know, guys like Charles Spurgeon, people are like, oh, Spurgeon, you know, he's the prince of preachers. 
he was a local church pastor. And granted, he did a lot of writing and a lot of that circulated. And that was the way that that happened during that time. So in that sense, he would have been a quote unquote celebrity pastor. But I think the problem is, is it's like every dude with an iPhone wants to live stream and do everything else. And I'm not hating on that. We live stream at our church. But the goal is for homebound members, other people, stuff like that. We put our sermons on Sermon Audio. We have people in other countries that listen to our sermons. Well, that's great. I'm glad if that edifies them. But we've even had discussions of like, should we take all that stuff down? Um, Just because we don't want to get so focused on somebody out there that we're missing the person that's actually in the pew. And I think sometimes with these ministries, what happens is, is, is they find a guy who, yeah, he has a really great teaching gift, but where did God tell you that somebody outside of your ministry needs to hear that? Like, like what if God actually has enough preachers for everybody right. and it doesn't have to be you? It's, it's the same problem with, with multi-site. Why does everybody have to hear you preach? You're telling me that you're, that you're not practicing Ephesians 4.11 enough, that you are equipping saints for the work of ministry? You don't have any other guys that can preach? Well, I think, J, I think J.D. Greer wrote a good blog on that, on the multi-site, instead of having 10 services. Well, I think there's theirs is a different perspective, too, because for Summit Church, they, they only live stream within the city limits of the Raleigh-Durham area. Right. So they view it as one large church and then outside of that they just plant autonomous churches and i get that i'm still that's not like my favorite thing but i do think that that is more scriptural you know than some other models village church you know they were doing uh broadcasting and they've rolled all their all their churches off into autonomous churches which Mm -hmm. i I think is also a a viable strategy again i'm not going to say they're in sin because of that because i don't have a verse but i do think there's this danger though of like some guy wants to go out and plant a church and he gets a, a pallet board background with Christmas lights on it and an iPhone and, and wants to have a thousand subscribers on YouTube. And a stool. You must have a well, stool. You know, so. and the, yeah. one thing that goes along with this, too, is our culture is set up to feed this because with the Internet, YouTube, your phone, or whatever medium you're using to reach people, uh, everybody has a voice. Everybody has a way to get themselves out there. So you have that. We're the me generation, and we're, we're we're obsessed with ourselves and getting ourselves out there. Um, but at the same time, another thing with this is the mentality that has been driven into the American church, and that is that if you're not big, if you're not uh, worshiping this way or doing church this way, then you're just failing. So there's that that mentality that I, I in order to be successful in ministry, this is what I've got to do. I've got to achieve the celebrity status. I've got to have this many followers and this many people reading my blog and have to have, you know, a book deal and all these things. And yeah, if you were really a great pastor, you'd have more than 50 or a hundred people in your church. Exactly. And we look at all those things as markers of success in ministry. While there's nothing wrong with any of those things, it's just the way that the, the, the corporate, uh, marketing strategies and all that stuff has, has gotten into the church. And we look at those things as saying, wow, that guy, if I could, you know, get to his level, then Mm -hmm. I'll be doing some real work for the Lord. Oh, and all you guys that are listening to this and talking about, Hey man, tear, tear down those celebrity guys. I don't want to hear you talking about that revival preacher that you got to come, (laughs) you know, on the sawdust trail that, you know, he's going to come in there and he's going to, 
preach the King James like it's supposed to be and people are going to get right. Because the thing is, it's just a cultural thing. It, I don't care what denomination, what background, whatever. Everybody's got celebrity pastors in America. Yeah. You can be in a denomination with five churches and there's some big deal out there. You know, because you get all these guys that want to get on their high horse about, you know, yeah, let's tear down all the guys on TV. We need some we need some of these old timey, you know, old fashioned preaching. That's what we need. And then they'll name their guys. And it's like, oh, okay, All right. I'm not going to name names, but I got names. (laughs) Well, I I live in Western North Carolina. I know who they are. And I I heard of an independent Baptist pastor when somebody within the church was giving a fit. He just called him, come over to his filing cabinet and opened the door, pulled out the deed. And he said, whose name's on this? Does this church belong to? <laughs> and so he owned the properties and all that. So they kind of shut that down. So so it's always possible, regardless of denominational affiliation, size of church, ego, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And so I want to kind of wind it up where Derek was, was taking us there, I think. And that is that we live in such an entertainment-driven culture to where we celebrate the very idea of celebrities. Mm-hmm. Look at Hollywood and the music awards and constantly there's some kind of award where all these people get together and pat each other on the back, hand each other a trophy. And, and even some of these folks who don't, who scarcely have the IQ of a rutabaga are called before <laughs> Congress to give a testimony about some great uh, matter that's before our nation. Like they have the authority and the intelligence to address those. We got to save things. the minnows in Alaska. Or yeah, something. yeah, but but because they've been in a in a movie that was nominated for an Oscar, all of a sudden they're an expert on you know everything. So they make the best presidents. Everyone <laughs> says they're the best. Yeah, but when but when you think about it though, that that is well, and indeed, you know, whatever you think about Donald Trump, he was. A celebrity, and right. that that status was what compelled him, uh, or propelled him rather, to get into that office. I think it launched him and gave him a platform where people knew him. So, uh, so in the church, I think that's affected us in that when people come to church, they come to be entertained. And they want the kind of person up there that has that kind of status so that they can kind of bask in the in the glow. We're looking for a hero. Yeah. The culture's looking yeah. for a hero. Yeah. yeah. So so somebody hit that right quick and see is, is that is that an issue? And how do we deal with that? Well, it's it's difficult. Here I am the guy that attractional. Um I mean, when you look at when you look at all these things. You know, you can look at a church and it's running, you know, 10,000 people, right? That is, you can, you could look at it and say, well, the music or the preacher or what, man, they could have the right intentions, the right heart, the right, you know, it's all down to the motives. And I think that's where, um, it's the same with going to these churches. What is your motives? You know, it, it gets on my nerves and I'm just being honest. It gets on my nerves that people will go to a church per se, but if the church doesn't have lots and music going on, that the Holy spirit's not there. Right. Like, and the fog machine helps too. Right. Yeah, and the he, fog machine. He, that's how he moves is through the fog. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and the Jesus music and the Jesus piano as the preacher's preaching, you know, and it's, it's built on emotion. And so when you hear people say, man, that was incredible worship, you know, is it the same worship with flats were on, you know, not again, I'm not knocking that stuff, but it's You're what is like me, what, but it's true. What is the pe- person's motives? Like what in going to, I've 
I've had people, uh, good friends of mine that have talked about going to our church. Well, well, I, I, the music's not so good or, 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 you know, the building's older or, or you hear, well, what about, you know, our mission? You know, well, we're in, you know, if, if people were looking for churches based on the impact they could have in a community, our church would be full, but that's not why people, mm-hmm. that's not what people's yeah. interested in. They're mm-hmm. wanting to have the music and that, and I'm the guy I want the best. I want to have the best stuff and I want to st- things to be done extremely well. But the person looking for the church or the person attending church, what is your motives for going to that church? Is it to make an impact for the kingdom of God, or is it to simply be entertained and have your ears tickled? And I'm not saying that the preaching is no. is wrong, but hey, you're you're man. wanting that feeling, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and not if you're not applying it, right? You know. So regardless of the size church that you are a part of or uh, that you lead, we want you to know there's danger that is out there that the devil would like nothing better than to pull you down. And so on one end, if you're seeing a lot of, quote, success, then your heart might be filled with, uh, uh, you know, pride and uh, self-confidence that sets you up for a fall. On the other hand, if you're not seeing those things, you may look at those mega ministries and have a spirit of covetousness or bitterness as to why it's not happening to you. And and so both of those put you in a danger zone and make you a sitting duck for satanic attack. And so the bottom line, when we uh, fall as leaders, we are going to drag down a lot of people. And God help us not to stumble, to stay humble before him. And so thanks for tuning in and listening. We hope that this was helpful. You can continue the conversation online by visiting us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the number four horsemen. Don't forget to tell your friends and enemies about the podcast and be sure to subscribe and review. They look at me funny when I talk like I got a speech impediment. Homie, check my passport. Heaven, I'm a resident. Like a conscious rapper, but do more than master president. I see brothers coughing, so I hit them with the medicine. On the other side, they say they Grass is greener. Seen the forecast, man. They call him for Katrina. Hi, I'm Dennis Thurman. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Dennis. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that, was, that was so sincere. How did you like that? Oh, man. Oh, we'll cut. I'm glad he doesn't do that on Sunday morning. <laughs> <laughs> he gets up there. Brother Niskin. Hi. <laughs> Sounds like Eddie Murphy. I'm fixing pancakes. Don't get me tickled. Oh, man.